0: winter kind of has come back. <coughs> just realized I left my glasses in the suit coat there, Chris, if you could get them. I want to make sure that I'm reading right. <coughs> we'll continue uh, and probably the end of the uh, bit of a storyline that I was in was about the Israelites, thank you, how and why they were in, in Egypt in the first place and why they had to be delivered. And the quick answer would be that God, that was his purpose and plan. But in the larger picture perspective was simply, uh, was, was uh, not simply, as we look at a journey and, and all of our lives we have a journey too and it's not always just simply, <laughs> sometimes there's rough times but what happened was they had a famine in Egypt and extended all the way down to Canaan or up to Canaan and um, that is the reason that Joseph and his brothers, well Joseph's brothers and family came to Egypt for help and then they ended up moving there and so before I continue to go uh, into more of it or of the that part of their journey, I wanted to tell you about my friend, Steve. I met Steve in 1982 um, in Virginia when we were, Sarah and I both were there in our, our voluntary service. Steve came there as a, he was about the same age as I am, but he was, in all appearance just by looking at him, he was lost, not not in spiritually or his soul as far as that he was a born-again believer but just as a person and I befriended him and we we became friends and still are today but I remember how socially awkward he was with just just friends with me and him and and he shared with me how his past and uh, bits of his past and that his mom and dad weren't together anymore Um, forget the name of the place where he grew up in Virginia his dad sometimes he just did what he wanted to he was a bit of a farmer and if he didn't want to go to church on Sunday he would go pick corn or something that's what his dad was like and didn't say much about his mom but there was just a disconnect with most members of his family he was so alone and so lost as I said and I became a bit of a mentor to him, and as time has went on, he's become that to me in some, some aspects, in some respect. He had a really tough journey, and what, what I want to bring out today in the, in the whole uh, time that we're here is to see how little ways God brings about his purpose and plan for our lives personally and then in a, in a bigger, grander scheme as well, his purpose and plan. And um, through the years, I remember Stephen being, uh, he would call me sometimes after we were through with our voluntary service together, and he went home. He, We got married, and then he got married, and we went to the wedding, and, and uh, I was in the bridal party. At, were you as well, sir? I can't remember. I... I um, we were, and then they moved to Ohio, and uh, we met them, we went there for a a supper one evening, they'd had two children, and then as life went on, we, we just kind of lost track of each other, and I heard he had encountered a lot of difficulties in his marriage, and his wife left him and took the kids, turned the kids against him, and so he was alone, For many years, and I wonder whatever happened to Steve. You know, well, how's he doing? And I think it was during the time when Facebook came on the scene that we connected on Facebook. And I guess in the last 10 years, we probably met three times. And in one of those initial times of reconnecting, he began to tell me his story. And there's so much that he went through. Times of loneliness that... I had never been that lonely before in my life. And just the pain that would come out as he shared his story with me was, was kind of like, uh, I guess the word is riveting and just wondering how were you able to, to manage life? And he said at one point, at one point he had nothing. He had no more family, his own wife and children or his siblings his mom and dad have passed by now he he would say well then this happened and then this this took place and he said i didn't even have a place to live i didn't have a vehicle the only thing that i had was god and i don't know if i, I i'm pretty sh- i don't want to say i don't know i've never been at a place like that i don't know if you have But something happened with Steve in those times that he has a wisdom that I don't have. He has something that is so deeply ingrained in him about the knowledge of God that I don't have. And uh, about a month ago, he was in Ohio. What he does now is he travels and he paints. That's what he does, wherever he can get work. He has a he has a van. He's still by himself and he's reconnected with his children. He's a good relationship with them. Not so much with his with his the ex wife. But when I met with him about a month ago up in Millersburg, he was in, in Ohio and he called me and he said that uh, he's in Ohio for a couple days. For, for tomorrow yet and wondered if he could come down and just see us and I said I'll make it even easier I'll come and meet you halfway he was in the northeast Ohio and um, it was New Year's Eve day and we sat at Taco Bell and we talked and there's just more things that he would share of the past of what he went through way back in the time when he was in a very conservative um, Mennonite church a BG church But I sensed in him all of those things that happened, all those little things that God kept telling him that I'm here for you. And he told me, he said, people ask me if I love God. And he said, I don't know if I love God, but I know he loves me. And he still has somewhat of the same appearance of being socially awkward. But I just sat there and, and kind of just listened of his relationship with God it is so amazing to me and I learned so much from him. <clears throat> Some things that occur frequently in the Bible are historical accounts of how God uses severe circumstances to bring about his divine purpose and plan and I want us just to be aware in our own lives how, how we need to acknowledge God and and In things that we encounter in life, little things that happen that he is orchestrating to bring about his purpose and his plan in your life and in my life. God is actively bringing about his plan all the time. The question that I had then is, okay, what purpose, when we think about uh, God orchestrating all these things in our lives, and particularly... um, the Israelites, okay, they had a famine and they went to Egypt. Then they had to be delivered from there. Didn't God know that? I mean, I mean didn't, didn't God know that that's going to happen and why would he bring them there? So the question that I had, it's kind of a long question that I, I could have probably condensed it, but I'll read it. And, and uh, what purpose is there in God leading you or me into a place of fun and fulfillment And then orchestrate in the same place events leading to the need for his intervention for my deliverance from that place. Why is that necessary? I thought about his plan and his purpose and how so often I spend a lot of time trying to figure that out. And then I asked myself the question, do I have to know it? Do we have to know his plan and purpose? We don't. We don't need to know. But are we okay with not knowing? There's a lot of times that I am not okay <laughs> with not knowing. How do we deal with that then? And I question myself, is the not, not being okay with not knowing, does that have something to do with my proclivity to self-glory? My, my wanting to have self-glory. My wanting to be known or to, to have recognition. Because if I would have a flowery testimony of God has this in mind for me and this is what he's called me and this is, and just have, I don't know. I'm just wondering about myself. Why I'm not okay with not, not knowing what his plan and purpose are. You know, uh, Joseph's dad, uh, Jacob. When the the famine was so bad in Genesis 42, it 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 says that he told his sons, "Go to Egypt and buy grain." Now think about this as as a dad telling you uh, something to do, or, or to. We grow up, we all have dads, and they tell us they do this or do that, or, or if you're farmers, I remember dad would tell me, "Go out to this field and cut this straw or this hay." or chop this silage. Or, and, and along the way, things become difficult, perhaps. Sometimes things just go wrong and, and just, you know, tractor blows up or something, or, or something happens and you go back. At least in, in my experience with my dad, he would always have my back. I don't remember dad, but maybe twice raising his voice at me to where he where I felt like it was yelling. But he always had my back, and this is the way it is with our Father in Heaven, asking us or, or bringing us on our, on our journey, bringing us to some things that he has called us to do, and we're entering, or we go to mission field, or we hang siding, or whatever it is, and we encounter difficult things, and we go to God and say, why is this happening to me? I want to know your plan and purpose, and he never, ever scolds us. says that in James he upbraideth not in other words he doesn't say you should be further up the road than this God never does that to us he always has our back and we don't need to know the full purpose and plan so Jacob tells his sons go to Egypt and buy grain doing dad's bidding shouldn't result in different difficult circumstances but it does when we are journeying into his plenty and into his rest, there are difficulties we encounter. Such as, sometimes there's, there's just changes in our lives in various degrees and all of us have somewhat similar but very different degrees of things that we encounter. Perhaps it's a job, changes or loss. Sometimes there's family things that happen With our siblings, or with our in laws, or with something happens in our family that we just never expected to have happened. My older brother married first, and then a sister got married. Her name was Karen. She has since passed, and their marriage wasn't the greatest. They had difficulties. And I, I just remember as a 14, 15-year-old at the time, I just I couldn't believe something like this would happen. And where he left her, just up and, and left. And he continued to have that kind of uh, pattern as when life got really tough, he would just up and leave, leave the family and my sister. And I just remember the first time that had happened, I, just, I was so bewildered, I, I felt a little bit like what Ben was sharing there—that somebody left me down that I had a lot of hope in and a lot of just respect. And I—I I remember the family we got together. And it was even in the middle of the day. We dad just said, well, "Let's just all go in the house and we prayed." And sometimes those changes feels like God is not anywhere close, or He's. He's obviously forgot to orchestrate this. I mean, this is so bad that why would would this happen? But he's still got your back. He still knows. He knows specifically what you're feeling during those times. And he wants to meet that need. And it was the same for Joseph and his brothers. When they uh, finally met and... I'm not going to go into that story. I've hit on it a little bit before. Sometimes world events, we encounter difficulties. Sometimes church events, there's difficulties that we go through and we wonder why. (coughs) Sometimes we make new resolutions and they fall flat because of the difficulties that we encounter within them. And we wonder why. (coughs) But if you think about it how sleepy and slumberous would i become if there were no pain and no problems how how uh, weak and flimsy would i be or become if there's no pain and no problems because they drive us to something outside of ourselves for help and they do they they also help us to reach out to each other to our spouses and friends, and we become stronger because of it. Four hundred and thirty years it was that uh, the Israelites were in Egypt. Then there's a little bit of kind of a, a question on how many of those years that the Israelites were in Egypt that things were really good. You know, at the beginning everything was just as we say, honky dory. Everything was good. They had food. They had they had comfort and ease. And at some point, this thing completely changed. And um, we really don't know, was it 200 years in, was it 215, was it 300 years? But at some point, as it says in um, Exodus then, chapter 1, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt, one who did not know Joseph. And so it had to have been a lot of time before the slavery began, because this king, this pharaoh, I'm not sure how it is possible, but it is possible that he had, if he knew anything about Jacob and his family, the children of Israel, he either just simply put it away and didn't want to know about it, or he didn't know anything about them. Could it have been? Well, it says that, that he didn't know Joseph. I want to read Exodus chapter 1, 6 through 14. <clears throat> Uh, Verse 6, it says, "Now uh, then Joseph died, as did all his brothers and all that generation. Yet the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew extremely numerous, so the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are too numerous and too powerful for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or else they will grow even more numerous so that if war breaks out, they may join our enemies, fight against us, and then escape from the land. So they set slave masters over them to afflict them with forced labor and they built uh, Pithom and Ramesses as storage cities for Pharaoh. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread or flourished. So the Egyptians dreaded the presence Of the children of Israel. Verse 13, they worked them harshly and made their lives bitter with hard labor, with mortar and brick, doing all sorts of work in the fields. In all their labors, they worked them with cruelty. Now, that was a rough part of their journey. That was extremely rough, I would say. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. I want to get to where I want to talk a little bit about Moses when he was born. And that's a three-month-old child. Is there anyone here that has a, like a three-month-old child with them? Is it, or are they all older? I, forget, I, I don't know. Brandon's is? Yeah, about three months. If you, can, if you think about that as mo- Well, I'll get to that. Okay, let's <laughs> get back to that. Because I think it's the exciting part of this morning, for me anyway, of how God orchestrated that, um, that event of Moses. <coughs> It seemed to me, if we go back here to verse 10, when uh, uh, the new Pharaoh, the new king said that we need to do something with these Israelites because they're coming too many, they're being more powerful than us. And he said, what if they join somebody else of our enemies and fight against us and then escape from the land? Well, it seems to me like, duh, if you don't like them, let them go to me. But evidently there was something value about them that he wanted them to stay. Or he needed them for some reason to accomplish his, uh, uh, his selfish things that he, he wanted to do as a king. It says the more they afflicted them, the more they became. And so they even dreaded being around them, being around the children of Israel. <clears throat> and I wonder there in verse 11 when, it, when they were afflicted with uh, forced labor, my mind, sometimes I imagine things. I imagine what were they feeling, the Israelites? What were they feeling when they were being forced to to work hard? Did anybody of the Israelites remember what God told their great-grandpa Jacob in Genesis 46, where God told Jacob, I am the God, or I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation." He didn't tell them that it's going to be rough days. And a lot of times in our rough parts of our journey, we forget. And I wonder if this was the the case with the Israelites. Somebody surely would have said, oh, remember what was said. That in this place, we are going to become become a great nation. And in those times, it is the hardest thing to do is to remember a word from God. At times I remember when I'm in, in the, like dire straits and I think, yeah, I kind of remember what he said, but you know, I pity myself. I, I just want to get out of here. Those are the things that I think of. Just get me over this sickness or get me over, out of this, this crunch. I don't know what the Israelites thought or did anybody mention that? <clears throat> Matthew Henry says this about evil leaders or wicked men. He said, there is no sight more hateful to a wicked man than the prosperity of the righteous, and I wonder if that's what was going on in the, the, the Pharaoh's mind and in the Egyptians. In verse twelve, when it says they dreaded the presence of the Israelites, they did, they just didn't like to even be with them or the sight of them, because it seemed like they were prosperous. They became more as at the harder they made it. There, there was more more Israelites all over the place. <clears throat> Let's talk a little bit of Moses now, and then I'll be um, finished. I keep looking out. I don't know if it's raining or icy. I don't want to keep you here longer than if you slide down the hill out here. I don't want any accidents to happen. So um, just a little bit on Moses and how the little things in life that God uses to accomplish his purpose and plan. And it's most times easy to think back after we're out of a, a, a crisis to think of the little things that God did that you see, oh, that was God. Hopefully we can begin to see I hopefully I can begin to see as I acknowledge God daily of his movements and the things that he brings in our lives for his uh, for his glory obviously and purpose and plan that he has and in Exodus two one through ten it uh, talks about um, well let's just read it. I think we have we'll just take time not, uh, Exodus two verses one through 10. Now a man from the house of Levi took as his wife a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and gave birth to his son. Now when she saw that he was delightful, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took a basket of pap- papyrus reeds, coated it with tar and pitch, put the child inside, and laid it in the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood off at a distance to see what would happen. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe while her maidens walked along by the riverside. When she saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her handmaiden to fetch it. When she opened it, she saw the child, a baby boy, crying. She had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, should I go and call a nurse from the Hebrews to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter told her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take This child and nurse him for me and I will pay you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. After the boy grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So she named him Moses saying, because I drew him out of the water. Just a couple things that I noticed here. A daughter of Levi and a daughter of Pharaoh. They observed the child the same way. And you think... A daughter of Pharaoh, the king, who is ruthless, to say the least. How was his daughter able to observe Moses in the way that she did? That is quite amazing to me. It is something that God brought about. She had compassion on him. It's a baby's cry. It's something, I believe, that's uh, natural for a woman to hear babies cry a compassion flows <clears throat> no matter how forlorn forlorn may seem our outlook how small the probabilities in our favor how different from the goal may seem the road he leads us god sees us and he watches us he watched this scenario happening right here Think about uh, the daughter of Pharaoh, the sister of Moses, the mother of Moses, how this all came about, and God orchestrated it for Moses to grow up and take the children out of bondage there, the the family of Jacob out of uh, Egypt. Okay, around that frail basket, it was half lost among the reeds, and around that basket is cast the impenetrable shield of his purpose. It was going to come to pass. God saw to it. And everything that happened served that will, his will, and that purpose. Think about the flow of the water in the full river. I get, I get kind of, I kind of visualize the Nile River as the Mississippi River. I don't know if there's any, those of you who are his, historians, if it's the same size at any point as the Mississippi River, because I've seen the Mississippi River at a really wide stretch, and water was like flowing fast. And I don't know at this point where the basket was lowered into the Nile River that it didn't just whoosh, you know, go down to wherever it goes. (laughs) I was going to say the Gulf of Mexico, but that's not it. (laughs) Um, So the flow of the water in the full river God even made that work. It's a small detail, but it's huge. The, the, the hour of the princess's bath. The direction of her idle glance. Think of, think of that as as you... <laughs> it's, it's so amazing to me that at times we are... We just take a look, an idle glance at something... And we dismiss it as, what, you know, we just see something and we look. And, and yet, at this time right here, the daughter of Pharaoh just happened to look and see the basket. It, it's got to be more to it than just something frivolous. It's an orchestration of God's to, to bring about God's plan. The cry of the child at that moment. At the right moment. And then the impulse welling up in Pharaoh's daughter's heart. That wasn't even evident a minute prior. Perhaps an hour before that or perhaps never. But at this moment, it welled up in her heart. And then the swift resolve, immediately she did something about it. The innocent skill of the sister. Moses' sister, like the baby's sister, was there. So amazing, all these little things. And then, as as the the days went or whatever, Moses was in the safety of the palace. I think I do well, we all would do well in just the scripture that says, uh, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. Just in our mundane things that we do every day, take a moment and just say, and just realize and just think or just quote that scripture is in itself acknowledging God. All these and a hundred more trivial and unrelated things are woven into the strong cable Wherewith God draws slowly but surely his secret purpose into act. And we can't see it. We can just see ourselves. And how selfish we get. How selfish I get. And wanting the glory. So, always his children are secure. And his mighty plan continues on to its accomplishment over all the barriers that men can raise. And, and I could add that I myself raise barriers sometime to God's purpose and plan. I, I'm just human enough to, I just do it sometimes. I get in the way. I get in the way of God's plan. He has a plan and purpose for you and us and in a larger perspective as a church. <clears throat> just be aware of his leading, even though it doesn't seem like he's even near. He sees you, and he watches you as he watched the Israelites go through those terrible years, hundreds of years, generations. Then he brought them out, and he will bring you out. God bless you.